Would you grab your copy of God's Word this morning and go with me to Psalm chapter 78. This will be a little bit of an overarching scripture text for our next couple of weeks together. Psalm chapter 78. Would you stand with me one more time? I know you just sat down, but would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? Uh, My name is Chris. If we haven't met, I get to serve as the lead pastor here. I'd love to connect with you after service. I'll be out by the hub, or you can also find me typically at a coffee pot, drinking coffee or eating donuts. So, Psalm chapter 78, just reading verses 1 through 8. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation this morning. Oh, my people, listen to my instructions. Open your ears to what I am saying, for I will speak to you in a parable. I will teach you hidden lessons from our past, stories we have heard and known, stories our ancestors handed down to us. I want you to pay special attention to this next verse. We will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about His power and His mighty wonders. For he issued his laws to Jacob, he gave his instructions to Israel. He commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children, notice it, so the next generation might know them, even the children not born yet, and they in turn will teach their own children. So each generation should set its hope anew on God, not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. Then they will not be like their ancestors, stubborn, rebellious, and unfaithful, refusing to give their hearts to God. Would you pray with me today? Father, thank you for your word. We know that your word is anointed already, so we trust now that your Holy Spirit will work. Your Holy Spirit will move and tug on our hearts, drive the truth into our hearts, that you would do much more, Lord, in these moments than I could ever do on my own. Thank you, Lord, for this people here today, because it's not just that we're coming to a building, we're coming to seek you, Lord. We want more of you. We want to see you and know you and experience all you have for us. So in these moments, may we yield to you and we give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated this morning. I received a a paper from my friend George, and when he gave it to me, I had some other stuff in my hand, so I folded it up until I could get back to my truck and get back to the office and read it. When I opened up the paper, the front cover of the Minneapolis-St. Paul Business Journal read, This Old Church. And here was the quote. As congregations in the Minneapolis-St. Paul metro face dwindling memberships, many are seeking to offload their increasingly expensive buildings. Developers are stepping in. And the article went on to talk about how many developers were purchasing old church facilities that were no longer inhabited by church groups, and they were turning them into apartments and residential residential living spaces. Another article that I located online from the same journal reported there are half a dozen church properties for sale in the Twin Cities as congregations face rising difficulties in declining memberships and rising building costs. The sad reality is that this is happening all over our nation. Research is telling us that thousands of churches are closing in the United States every single year. 
In fact, if you do the math, you will find that it comes out to be about 100 to 200 churches that close in the U.S. every week. Research also suggests that out of the 400,000 U.S. churches that exist, 8 out of 10 of those churches have either plateaued or are in decline. 7 out of 10 U.S. churches are less than 100 in attendance. We're not demeaning or reducing the value of a small church congregation. We also understand that that can be a picture or reflection of what community they live in. But we also understand that it it can be an evidence yet again of a church that may be shrinking or dying. The medium attendance is 65 in the U.S. churches, meaning that half of U.S. churches have fewer than 65 in weekly attendance. Why is this happening? Why is this the case? We can't talk about this concern in our nation without talking about the reality of the de-churching movement. And it is a movement. About 40 million U.S. adults, that's about 16% of our population, 40 million U.S. adults have de-churched, meaning they've left the church for some reason in the last just 25 years. It's the fastest religious movement that has ever happened in our nation. Unfortunately, it's in the wrong direction. For the first time in history of the eight-decade study that's finding all of this information, there are more adults who do not attend church in America than those who do. Now, the reasons of de-churching may surprise you. Some people might know the obvious, that there have been scandals and news outlets that have broken news about uh, high, high visible, highly visible leaders who have had scandals, churches that have hidden things that they shouldn't have hidden or have handled differently. But you may actually find that a large group of the de-churched have just simply gotten out of the habit. They left the church during the pandemic and they never came back. They moved to a different city and they just never plugged into a new church. They somehow find that church is inconvenient or they find it optional in light of other things to do. What studies will tell us is that while a lot of people have de-churched or are in the process of de-churching, many of them would say they still hold a number of the religious beliefs. They still believe in Jesus, they still believe in Scripture, but they're no longer plugged into a local community. Add to the de-churching movement the unchurched. If trends were to continue the way that they are, we can predict that de-churching will decline because there will be less people in the church to ever leave the church in the first place. The unchurched will be increasing. It may be hard for you and I to grasp this, but there are many people who have never heard an adequate presentation of the gospel. And I'm not just talking about third world countries. I'm talking about right here in the United States. Many people who have never heard an adequate presentation of the gospel, never held their own copy of God's word, or never stepped foot inside the doors of a church. In years gone by in pastoring, we would host different community events. And one of the community events that we hosted when we lived in a different state was a a dental program to help kids learn to brush their teeth and floss. We're in favor of that, by the way. We we think that's a good idea. Uh, We found out after five to six hundred, five hundred to six hundred kindergartners came into our church, uh, kindergarten first grade range, 
they would get back to the schools and the teachers would start discovering that it was the very first time they'd ever stepped foot inside the doors of a church. If trends continue, um, we're going to see the unchurched number rise even more. At times, as I said a moment ago, the church world has not handled things well, and the church world's even invited a stigma over us that may keep people from wanting to connect. There have been some things that maybe we haven't done well, but at this point in history, we need to outlive that reputation among some, and ultimately, we need to reach all people. It's interesting to note that research suggests that people, when they do decide to choose a church, will often choose to attend a larger church than a smaller one, perhaps with the desire to blend in or to find friends or to not feel pressure from anyone sticking out. For various reasons, and maybe others, churches are declining and dying as their people die. I would suggest to you today that the vision of God for His church is bigger than one generation. That was a good place to say amen. The vision of God for His church is bigger than one generation. First, we need to understand, we need to continue to put ourselves in this fact and and wrap our minds around that the church is so much more than a campus or a building. There are plenty of parts of the body of Christ that have neither. There are people today all over the world that are meeting in homes or in coffee shops And they're part of the body of Christ. But they don't have a campus. They don't have a church facility. The facility doesn't make anyone a church. The church is the living, breathing organism of God, birthed by God, empowered by God, used by God to carry God's message of the good news about Jesus to the world. We've said many times before that the gospel is the hope of the world and the church is the hope of the gospel. If people are going to hear the good news, if people are going to see their need for Jesus, if people are going to be exposed to truth, it's going to be the church. God doesn't want His church, should Jesus tarry, to just be active for 20 years or 40 years or 80 years or just if the conditions for being part of the Christian movement are just right. God intends that until He calls us heavenward, the church would thrive and change the world and reach hearts to be saved. I still believe Jesus meant what he said. I will build my church, and even the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So God intends for our children, and our children's children, and our children's children's children to be his church, and to follow Jesus, and to impact the world. We must reach the next generations. This is our heart today. We must reach the next generations because they are the present and future of the church. You can join me in declaring today with your heart. I think you would agree with me. I don't want my church to die when I die. I would say to millennials and Gen Z students and young adults, you bring value to the church. And if we haven't said that to you, then forgive us for not saying that. We don't just think you're the future, we also think you're the present. And we want your energy, we want your passion, we want your creativity, we want your gifts in operation because we believe God gifts every member of the body of Christ. We want your gifts in operation to see the church accomplish the mission we have from God. I want to say too, just really quickly, 
thank you to the people of our church, of this local church community, who serve our next generations on a regular basis. Not only our staff, but the numbers, scores of volunteers, our largest team of those who serve in our church are related to kids and youth ministry. Can we just show our appreciation today for all that they do? I want to say thank you publicly to teachers who serve in many different schools. We recognize that there are a lot of challenges facing us when it comes to reaching the next generation, but it's not a work that we can ignore. It's not a work that we can leave behind. This is so vitally important. We must reach the next generations also because of their needs. We must reach the next generation because of their needs. I'm saddened to learn that when you study the next generations, and I've done that quite a bit and still doing that, what we find is these generations are indicating high levels of depression, anxiety, and loneliness. And it's sad, scary, and alarming, maybe all at once, to recognize just how many of the younger generations have actually had suicidal ideations. They've considered what it would look like to take their own life. Many are coming up with broken families, some fatherless, some without family at all. Many have been abused, traumatized, maybe even being bullied as we speak. My oldest daughter is 11, and we have conversations about what it's like to be in school with other people her age and what it's like for students to pick on students. Not only is all of that true in the physical, in our world sense, but then you add to it the spiritual component that these generations are targeted by the devil. I don't know how else to say it. Because the enemy knows if he can try to get a foothold in those younger years, it's going to pay dividends for him going forward. Statistics will tell us that there are a lot of people who get saved, who encounter Jesus and respond before they're even 18 years of age. Don't you think the enemy knows that? Don't you think he wants to create doubt early on? The world system isn't stupid, and ultimately Scripture teaches us that there is an enemy at work under the world system. If a young person can be targeted, they can be pulled in from a young age and have less of a chance for life change and freedom in Christ. Now, I know that this may not apply to all of us in the room or all who are listening today, but in those next generations, social media has created in many ways a lot of comparison traps. Students are growing up believing that what they see on social media is what they need. Or what they see on social media is what they should look like. And we all can be honest today, I think. Who actually posts their worst on social media? I mean, really. We, we want to post our best pictures. I stood with my wife the other night. And we didn't post this. Uh, that's her choice. I, I could care less, honestly. But uh, she, she, we took a selfie. We were on a date night. And we took a selfie. It took us three or four times to get it right. The lighting's got to be good, right? The angle's got to be good because you don't want people knowing you've eaten enough donuts to have a double chin or a triple chin. You want to get it right. We don't go on social media and post our worst. 
I heard Pastor Francis Chan recently say that we have a tendency to go online and post our acts of righteousness, but you don't ever see us posting our sin. That impression that this is what life should be, this is what life should look like, self-image issues that have developed as a result, this is all pushing in on the next generation. Many of them are accounting that they are internally pressured for various reasons and even externally pressured. They lack love, they lack acceptance, they struggle to understand what true friendship and true family even is supposed to look like and the list goes on and on. We haven't even touched on some of the biggest conversations that are happening right now in our culture around identity, gender, and sexuality. So I want to say publicly, and I pray that all of us, no matter where we're at in life, no matter what our ages are, that we can embrace this to our millennials, to our students, to our young adults, to our Gen Z. EPAG is the place. This local community of Jesus followers is a safe place where you can explore faith and you can ask tough questions and you can discuss the major challenges that you're facing. And I commit to you, and we commit to you as a church family, that we're not going to just beat you over the head or somehow tell you that you don't have enough faith. We're going to walk through that journey together. And we're going to look to God's Word, the truth. Not just my truth, but the truth. And we're going to look to truth and look to Jesus and let Him work in our lives. And we've all been in where you're at in many ways. Maybe not the same ways that it manifests in our world today, but we've all faced the pressure of living like the world. So we're going to journey this out together. You have permission to process. Please know that none of us are perfect, me included. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and we all have experiences of struggles and joys that we're willing to share with you if you'd like to do that. We're here to support you, to love you, and to share anything we can with you. We're on the journey together. It's not that we're just going to have this group of this age and this group of this age and this group of this age. All of those moments are important to share those life-specific journeys. But there is wisdom and passion that can come together and breed a glorious journey with Jesus if we'll be on it together. I'll say it this way to millennials and Gen Z. We don't have all the riz, but we will be authentic, no cap. And I'm so authentic that I will tell you, it felt awkward just to say it that way. I'm too old and I'm not cool. We must reach the next generations because every generation needs to know Jesus. Let's just call it what it is. We must reach the next generations because every generation needs to know Jesus. If you study scripture, you find out very quickly the heart of God is that none would perish but that all would come to repentance. If I can stand on what would be considered a soapbox, but I think it's actually scriptural, I get tired of people that know how to point out all the problems, but they don't come up with any solutions. The point of us is to not sit back and just talk about the statistics. The only reason I'm presenting this information to you today is that perhaps you're not aware of all these things. Maybe your parents, maybe you're serving in next gen, maybe you're not even connected to any of that whatsoever. You're empty nester and you're saying, hey, I'm just waiting to go to heaven. But at 
at some point, we've got to recognize it's not enough to just point out the numbers. It's not enough to just identify the struggles. It's not enough to just say these things are happening. We have to embrace the heart of God and actually do something about it. And what we understand in Scripture is that Jesus died for every soul that every person, each and every person, no matter background or race or ethnicity, no matter what is going on in their lives, Jesus died and every one of those people matter to God. It's our desire that each and every person of every generation would know the joy of following Jesus and being with Him. Psalm 78, 7 in our text today says it this way, so each generation should set its hope anew on God, not forgetting His glorious miracles and obeying His commands. So that means our goal in parenting our goal in mentoring, our goal in ministering, our goal in reaching the next generations is to point them to Jesus and help them to find the confidence in Him that's going to set their life apart. That's the goal. That we would help them to understand that there are so many reasons, more than we could ever list, to put our faith and confidence in God. That we would help them to learn God's word and to see what's in there that helps us know how to live and what to do and to learn from each other what not to do even. I mean, Psalm 78 talks about not are we only to teach the commands of the Lord and be obedient, but we also need to reflect back on the things that weren't right and make sure we don't live that way. We don't want to be rebellious and stubborn and sinful and rejecting the truth of God. We want to live for God and obey Him and see the beauty of Him working in our lives. We want the next generations to be centered in the gospel. And the gospel says that we're made in the image of God and we're valuable, no matter what anyone else has said to us. The gospel says that in Christ we can be forgiven and free. And that in Christ we can have an eternal family. And in Christ we are loved and we don't need the approval of other people to find our significance. And the gospel says that in Christ my future is secure. That my past sins don't define me. That the previous sexual temptations and sins don't define us. That our insecurities and our fears now don't define us. That our anxiety and depression don't define us. That our failures don't define us. That what we have done or what we've said or what's been said about us doesn't define us, God does. We reject our culture's counterfeit narrative and we embrace the truth of the gospel only found in Jesus. I say to students and young adults today, I, I invite you, if there's, if there's one thing One thing I could hammer, one thing I could try to encourage you to do. It's very simply that I invite you to know and follow Jesus, the one who loved you so much and still does that he gave his life for you. And when you make that decision to follow Jesus and you take that journey with Jesus, your life will never be the same. It's quite an adventure. There's ups and downs and twists and turns. Life sometimes has some curveballs involved, things that you maybe don't even make sense to. But, but on the journey with Jesus, there's a peace and a joy of knowing how he defines us and we're children of God with all the rights and privileges of being part of his family and he's with us along the way. In the coming weeks, we'll talk more about how to reach next generations and we'll get a little more practical.
In the next couple of weeks, I want to talk to parents because I, I firmly believe the greatest responsibility of discipling the next generation starts at home with the parents. Smile at me, parents. You guys are already making plans for next weekend to not be here to hear that message, aren't you? We'll talk about parents. We'll talk about the role of the church and the role of generations. And ultimately, we'll land on making sure that we we make this handoff, that we do it well. That we make sure we're engaging the right way. But before we wrap up today, I want to just share with you why this really matters so much. We've talked a little bit about what's happening even in our area right now. We're talking about what's happening in our nation. We're talking about the reality that the church must live on past us. And there's a, there's a verse in Scripture that has always caught my attention about what happens when we don't do a good job of passing on faith. When we don't do a good job of making the handoff so that our kids and our kids' kids are following Jesus. In Judges chapter 2, verse 10, the Bible says this, After that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things He had done for Israel. After that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things He had done for Israel. So I I challenge you to ponder the question, what happens if a generation grows up and doesn't acknowledge the Lord and doesn't put God first and doesn't pay attention to all the things that He has done? What happens when that's not the case? How about sin and rebellion and selfishness? Interpreting truth to be whatever my opinion says? Are we not seeing some of that already in our world today? I would actually go far enough to say, I wonder if we didn't help create the problem. Did we miss discipling our kids? Did we miss discipleship in the church? Did we miss discipleship at home? How did did we get where we are? I mean, we can get into all of the theological discussions. We can get into all of the, the premises of Scripture that describe a great falling away or, or the, the turning of, of love growing cold away from God and away from other people. I understand all of those things, but I also understand that we carry a responsibility. And so it's one thing if we carry our responsibility and do what is right and there are some who may fall away. It's another thing if we neglect our responsibility. Because then we're reaping what we sowed. After that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things He had done for Israel. Not only are we talking about today that churches, local churches, will shrink and die, and not only will needs not be met with love and compassion if we don't pay attention... But ultimately, what we're describing here is if, if we don't do this work, if we don't reach these next generations, if we don't do a good job of discipling people to follow Jesus, there's a risk that this life and ultimately eternal life will be lost. 
They don't acknowledge the Lord, they don't know the Lord, and they're not going to serve the Lord. I grow weary of people who would ignore or criticize generations. I get it. I think every generation has its differences. We all grew up in different ways. I mean, I had the original Nokia phone with the green and black screen. The, the best game was Snake. Come on, somebody knows what I'm talking about. I, I, I grew up pre-cell phones. Even these things called bag phones that looked like we were trying to call a nuclear strike to some other country. I grew up pre-internet. I even remember the tone of dial-up. There's always differences. Things shift. But to simply judge, stand back and judge, and write generations off is wrong. It would be wrong of any generation to write the other one off. But what EPAC needs to be, what we need to be in our hearts is a place for all generations and that we will all grow together as a family the way God intends it to be. I I don't find in the first century church in the book of Acts that there was a discrepancy or, or differentiation between generations. It seems that they were all together in one accord. It seems that people were on a journey together. It doesn't say that they were always separated. It seems to indicate that there was a lot of time they're spending together. What happens when that takes place? There's a, for lack of a better term, a cross-pollinization. There is a wisdom from people who have lived through some things with God. And there's a passion of people who want to follow Jesus. And maybe they just haven't lived some of those parts of life yet. But when you put them together, passion and wisdom go a long way. And we can follow Jesus together. What would happen if we lead our families to follow Jesus? Our kids. What would happen if we lead all generations to follow Jesus? I'm going to ask if you will today, would you stand with me all across the room? I'll be honest with you today, I I really want some of the things that we shared on the early part of this conversation this morning, I want these things to sink into your heart today. I want you to recognize what's happening. It's not somewhere else, it's right here. I want you to understand the need. I I want and I pray that your heart be gripped by the Holy Spirit to understand the need. This is not something we can just talk about. This is not something that we can just dream about doing. We've got to put our hands to the plow and our feet to walk and take steps of action to do what we're talking about. As parents, as generations in the church, as mentors, we've got to go forward in helping people know Jesus. Eternity is at stake for a lot of people. I want to invite you today to join with me. And I want to, I want to invite you today to pray with me that, that God would use us. Parents, you're going to pray. You're going to pray as parents, God help me. 
Help me to to make sure, help me to be a big part of helping my kids center their lives around Jesus and the gospel. And and every generation in the church today, we can all pray, God, that, that we would effectively reach and serve these next generations and then serve together and and leaders who are in key roles, that you would have a heart as well for those next generations and that we would have such a heart to journey together and not apart. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes, if you will, for just a moment. Uh, I don't want to bypass this moment and not give an opportunity for someone to make that decision to follow Jesus. So I want you to know that the bad news is we're all affected by this sin problem in our lives. We're born under the curse of sin. Sin separates from God. Sin is a stain on our lives. And it's, it's not just one sin or another sin. It's, it's the issue of sin. It's the, the deal in our human heart that if left to our own, we will be rebellious towards God, rebellious towards His Word. We'll be selfish in how we live. And ultimately, there's an eternity at stake bad news is we're all in that boat or we were at least if we've already been saved but there is good news even the best news you could ever hear and that is God loved you so much and wants to have relationship with you and wants you to be in eternity with him that he gave his son Jesus to die on the cross and it's more than just a fancy symbol that people wear around their neck. It's more than just a, an emblem that hangs on crosses or in churches or, or in auditoriums or outside of a church. It's the greatest significance for every one of our lives. It's that Jesus who was not guilty took our guilt, took our sin, took our punishment, died in our place so that we could not only be forgiven of our sin, but we could be counted as righteous before God it's powerful it's too much to even describe in one moment but what I know is if you will open your heart and you will look towards Jesus and you make a decision to follow him he will work in your life and your life will be incredible it doesn't mean it will be perfect doesn't mean that you don't still live in a sinful world but it does mean that you have the peace and joy of being right with God and the peace and joy and security of knowing what lies ahead after this life so I'm going to ask our prayer team members to come from the, around the room wherever you are today as prayer team members would you come and make yourselves available on either side of the auditorium and in a few moments, if you haven't made a decision to follow Jesus or you have a lot of questions about what that means, there are people here who will pray with you, who will talk with you, who will point you to the truth of Scripture to know what it means to follow Jesus. They will also be available to pray with you over any needs you might have. But I want to ask you before we move from this moment that as a church community, as a people, uh, as parents, as generations, that we would pray, God, help us to effectively reach, effectively serve and serve with the next generations. Help us to be a part of the solution. Help us to welcome them in. Would you pray that prayer with me today? Would you pray over the next generations with me as well? Would you, would you join me in this commitment today? Father, we come to you. Thank you for your word. And we've looked to just one spot where you talk about the importance of our children and our children's children, all generations knowing the truth. There's so many places in Scripture where you show us how 
necessary it is for us to disciple, for us to help people follow you. Lord, today we we invite you to work in our hearts. Let what we've talked about today not be a message that we hear and it goes in one ear and out the other. Let it not be something that we hear and we move on with no thought about it. But let this be that we've heard from you today and we recognize the significance of this moment. We recognize the significance of our role in your work. And God, would you help us, whether it's in our own home, in our own family, or whether it is uh, out in our community, Lord, or around this area, wherever it may be, God, would you help us to have eyes to see the needs of next generations? Would you help us to see and have a heart for the next generations? Lord, would you help us to reach and have compassion and love for them who are facing so many things, so many challenges? Would you help us to have a heart, O Lord, to reach and disciple, to love and to grow together, Lord, to form relationships, to be friends, to be mentors, to to journey together. Help us all to just have a simple uh, humility about us that believes we can all learn something from each other. A humility that says we can all bring value to the table, to the conversation, to the journey. Help us, O God, to be engaged in this. I pray that over the next couple of weeks, Lord, you will continue to speak to us as we drill down deeper in Scripture, as we drill down deeper in what it means for us and in in what steps we take from a practical standpoint. Would you help us, O Lord? Would our hearts be open, our minds be open, our eyes open? Would our lives be filled with compassion towards the people around us, God, in all cases? and especially the next generations. And would you help us to not just point to say these are issues, but Lord, to engage in being a part of carrying your mission out in this world. Thank you, Lord, for helping us. Would you empower parents? Would you empower generations? Would you empower millennials and Gen Z and others, Lord? I pray that we would journey together and we would find such a work of the Holy Spirit as we do. Thank you, Lord. I pray today for people who may or may be in a different stage of life and they're praying for their children to come home to you. God, I pray that you be with them and comfort them today. And I pray that you will remind them that you are hearing those prayers. You're listening and you're working. I pray, Holy Spirit, be at work in all of our hearts. I pray, oh God, that we would never criticize each other but that we would lift each other up and we would inspire one another to keep following Jesus thank you Lord God in this moment as people pray and as people respond to you I pray Lord your richest blessing be theirs would you bless and keep them would you make your face to shine upon them and be gracious to them Would you turn your countenance, your favor in their direction and grant them your peace? Would you use us in every way that you desire as we move from this moment? And as we respond, Lord, may you speak to us and help us and guide us. We thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name.